What do you say we wrap up our current series we're in? We've been rooted in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for this month. We're going to conclude this month today. We'll get back to Mark starting next week. And if I've estimated this correctly, we've been uh, in the deep end for three weeks. It's been good for us. We've kind of been in the ring. Um, but this week, we're going to kind of go to the corner. We're going to see the corner man, get some coaching, maybe bandaged up a bit. Or we're going to come up for air, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, and I want to tell you something. I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you do not shy away from God's word and the preaching of God's word to our lives in the current moment. Thank you. I know it can be difficult to hear, and to be frank with you, it's difficult to say sometimes, but everything is said in love to the man in the mirror first, and then to all of us who are his flock. So I just want to thank you. And I'm excited this week to unpack that final verb in this nine-verse section we've been looking at for these four weeks. So you have your Bibles? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I won't read the entire nine verses. If you'd like to hear the message on that or have more understanding about what we've said, just go to our website. You'll see the three messages under this current series called The Autonomy Myth. You can listen there. I just want to focus again on the final three that we've looked at for the last two weeks. So I'll begin reading in verse 18. Here's what God would say to us. Flee from sexual immorality. That's the first imperative in this nine-verse section. We discussed it last week. And this first imperative is followed, of course, by a statement, then a question, then a statement, and then one more imperative. Here's how it rolls out. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's the statement. Here's the question. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? That's the question. Here's the second statement. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And now the final imperative. So glorify God in your body. Would you say the last phrase with me? Glorify God in your body. Notice that the last word of this nine-verse section is the word body, which is the prominent theme in all nine verses, that he's talking about the body's use, the body's ownership, the body's purpose. And he ends by saying the ultimate purpose is that we are to glorify God and then he gets specific in our body. Let me do this. Let me just kind of tackle four questions quite briefly because I want to do this this morning as we understand this final phrase. I'll tackle these four questions and I want to spend most of our time on application. I want to spend most of this time helping you understand what it looks like in this realm, <clears throat> within this faith family to glorify God in your body. Not to say that you're not. I'm not saying that at all. I just want to make sure that we understand how we can. And if you're doing that, terrific, wonderful. And if you're not, maybe the Holy Spirit would this morning prod us to live this way. All right? So four questions briefly. What is he asking or commanding actually us to do? This is an imperative in verse 20. So glorify God on your body. If we answer the what question, we'll see it's very clear. Glorify. Now, to all of our teenagers here and elementary students, all the way up to our uh, older senior adults, let's just make sure we all understand what it means to glorify. 
it, it comes from the word. We've discussed this several times, but I want to bring a little more specificity to it because I've not told you the definition of this in the best way. And I want to apologize for that. It wasn't intentional. I don't think it was wrong, but it wasn't complete. So I want to retract something I've said in the past because of how it could be taken. The word glorifies the, is the English word from the Greek word weight or brilliance. And it implies that something is so heavy upon you that it changes you. In other words, when it interacts with you, it reflects off of you. And so you're not the person in view. What's in view is the reflection of what's weighing upon you. Are you with me? It's kind of not like, oh, get that. It's not that hard to understand. This is the, the essence of glorify. And I've said this in the past. I've said that it's, it's our responsibility to bring weight to God. Now, that's actually true in some ways, but it almost gives the impression that maybe God doesn't have weight, and so when we glorify him, we give him something he doesn't have. That's what I want to retract, is the unintended misunderstanding that when we say, hey, when you glorify God, you're bringing weight to God. You're showing his brilliance. Actually, a better way to say it is this. When you're glorifying God, you're reflecting what he already is and has. So can you just give me some room there to... To know what I meant earlier is that, but I just wasn't saying it the best way. And, and I was convicted a couple weeks ago, like, man, God, I don't ever want to lead our church astray, even unintentionally. I don't want to leave them with some thought that, that okay, I'll do something, and then suddenly God's a better God. There's more weight to his character because of what I've done. And, and you know how I feel about those things? I, I think it's pretty clear. Man, God is intrinsically, eternally, Awesome, mighty, great, and powerful. He is that way. He has been that way. He will be that way. And whether or not you glorify him does not change him. But when we glorify him, we do showcase what he is, has been, and will be. And that is our role in the most textually correct manner. Our job is to make sure that we're reflecting the brilliance and weight of Almighty God. Now, if you like the word bring to indicate that, that's okay, which is what I meant earlier. But I just want to be as correct as possible and as passionate as possible about this word because it is the overarching word to describe what we're to do with our bodies. We are to reflect and showcase God's beauty and brilliance and weightiness. That's what we're to do. As I was uh, thinking through this, and how to make sure I said it the best way. My mind went right to the fact that I get sunburned very easily. In fact, if you're around me in the summer because I get sunburned going to get the mail on the front porch. I mean, I'm just always wide open, right? My guess is if you see me after vacation or after a day in the yard, you're thinking, man, the sun had an effect on you, Don't, didn't it? I mean, you just, it's just an automatic thought. I thought that's, that's how I want my life to be. When people see me and I've been around God, I want it to be so obvious and so clear. They're like, man, man, you've been Jesus burned. You've been around God. Like, I don't want there to be a question. I want his brilliance, his weightiness to be so obvious that people are like, man, you're radiating this morning, dude, you know? That's what we're to do, to glorify God. 
So I hope we're all on the same page about what this word means. Reflecting the brilliance and weightiness of our great God. Who, is, uh, who are we to glorify is the next question we'll answer. It's God. These are not hard questions. They're not meant to be trick questions. But let's be sure to be clear here. This is the one with the weight and the brilliance. It's not what you do that has the weight and the brilliance, okay? What we do and how we act in our bodies reflects God's brilliance. He's the one that gets the credit. He gets the glory. He's the original light. And so we can say from this, and listen very carefully. This is a theological statement. I want you to grab this, and kids especially. This verse shows us that God is God-centered. And you have to be okay with the God-centeredness of God. Does it mean that it's not that he's not for you? In fact, the Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? We know that God is for us. We see that on the cross. Are you with me? But the end result of everything that God does and that he asks you to do in your body is not about you. The end result of everything that God does and that he wants you to do in your body is that it would be about him. So God is a God-centered God and be glad about that. That means every end of God's purposes is perfect and just and beautiful and right and holy. You would not want a God who wasn't God-centered. So we are to reflect his brilliance and weight where in our body. And so I think this shows us, and the reason Paul puts this in here, is that this is a physical activity we're to do. Remember in the very first week we talked how, or the second week actually, union with Christ is not some fuzzy-wuzzy, oozy-woozy spiritual concept. Like you just kind of sit in your chair like, nah, 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 I'm in union with Christ. And you, you know, it's just like this thing. I don't really get it, but I guess it's happening. It's not like this metaphysical mystical. It's actually a spiritual supernatural reality that we live out in our bodies, in our jobs, in our homes, in our hobbies, in our church. We act in ways that showcase and reflect the weightiness of God. So when husbands love their wives, that's a physical act. And the wife feels like, wow, this is amazing that you would serve me this way and sacrifice in this way for me. And it showcases God's weightiness and his brilliance in loving the church. And you could just pick a number of illustrations, but that's how it's to be designed to work. In our bodies, it's a physical activity. You, you, it, it's not really like spiritual, virtual reality. You're not putting on some you know, pair of goggles and like, okay, I want to really pretend to be spiritual today. I don't really do anything. I'll just kind of pretend no, you're actually engaging in activities in all parts of your life that when you do them, they should reflect the weightiness of God in your life. Here's two verses where Paul, again, explicitly talks about how this is a, a thing we do in our bodies. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a few chapters later. In fact, would you read this with me? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat... Or drink. Those are physical activities, right? And then he says this. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's Romans 12, verse 1. Notice that Paul calls for us to present our what? Bodies as living sacrifices. He didn't say just, you know, present your mind. He didn't say... 
Just present your wish list. He actually went to this idea of a physical body. In other words, give your life to God as a sacrifice so that when you live, you're living out his will, which is good and perfect and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. So we're to glorify God in our body. We're to, to, to showcase, to reflect the weightiness and brilliance of God in the actual physical things that we do. Why? Well, that last question is answered by the statements in verses 18 and 19, mainly verse 19. I guess I should say really 19 and 20. Look at your Bibles with me here. We've been looking at the last part of verse 20, but notice how what he says in 19 and 20 leads up to this final imperative, you know? Here's why we are to glorify God in our bodies. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us We are not our own, and we were bought with a price. In one word, what's he talking about? I hope you get this answer right. He's talking about what? Oh, man, I love you guys. That's awesome. If you're new, we've invented a word this month. It's called baltonomy. And this passage just strikes against and dismantles our typical American autonomy, doesn't it? In fact, could he be more clear than verse 19? You are not your own. Which is why I've been saying for four weeks, autonomy is actually a myth for the Christian. We are actually a baltonomous people because the next phrase says, you were bought with a price. And then the next word is the word so, which is a a word of equation, a resulting word. So because we are not our own, we've been bought with a price, what are we to do? Say it with me, church. Glorify God in our body. And so why do we glorify God? Because we belong to God and because we've been bought by God. Let me just take you a little deeper into this answer. Notice the Trinitarian equation in play here. I really like this because our doctrine is built on a Trinitarian understanding of God. He is one God in three persons. It's a doctrine we reference here often. We believe it. We stand on it. Look what he does here. He says that the Holy Spirit's within you, right? He says that God owns us, and he says that Christ has purchased us. All three persons of the Godhead are mentioned in this final two verses. And so in light of your Trinitarian ownership, glorify God. Every single person of the singular Godhead One God in three persons. Every bit of the Trinity was involved in making sure you are owned by God. Now, by the way, you can take this same equation and you can apply it to salvation, which I think is actually um, how we describe our ownership. Now, let me uh, just clarify a couple things. I think personally, and I wouldn't, there would be folks who disagree on this, and that's okay. We can disagree on this to, to a degree. This passage is speaking about God's ownership of believers. I tend to think, and I would say this is from the book of Acts, God owns everyone by creation. He owns believers twice by creation and salvation. Does that make sense? So I would maintain that God owns all people at least once. And he owns believers doubly. Some would say, no, God only owns believers. And and we can debate that over coffee and still leave as friends, right? My point here is this. When you look at this equation, the Trinitarian equation, 
that really kind of undergirds our autonomy. This is really salvation kind of declared in just another way. Because here's how salvation works. God plans it. Christ purchased it. And the Spirit applies it. Did you know that? God has planned to save a people unto himself. And so he invites everyone to be saved, to hear the gospel, and to respond in faith and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, church? And so every week we talk about the beauty of having your sins forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. The wonderful news that we share with our city, with each other, that God reconciles sinners. People who were at odds with God, who were unholy and unrighteous, who were enemies of God, and yet he took the initiative to come to us in the incarnation, die for us in the crucifixion, be raised for us in the resurrection. And now he says to all in declaration, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. God has planned all of that. He's the architect of salvation. But Jesus is the one who died for us on the cross, and so he purchased us. Acts 20, 28 describes this, that he bought the church. But how is that purchase price then brought to people and applied in, in real life and time and space? It's through the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks how the Holy Spirit opens the minds and eyes of unbelievers so they can see the glorious light of the gospel. Many of you have experienced that. You remember the day you were lost. You didn't want God. You weren't seeking God, but the Holy Spirit began to convict you about your need of a Savior and your sin and your eternal destiny. You just didn't know what was going on. It's like, man, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I should do. I need help. And God showed you the beautiful cross. Maybe it was through someone's conversation, an invitation to church, a tract, the Bible, a parent's words, a friend. It could be a number of ways. But all that led to seeing Jesus dying in your place, taking the penalty for your sin, in that moment, you remember the conviction of the Holy Spirit in which you realized, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have a life. And you said, God, would you save me through Jesus? And in the simplest way, you just prayed a prayer of faith. That God gave you to believe, no doubt. But you expressed repentance in prayer. And in that moment, God saved you through Jesus by the Spirit. By the way, can, can as a pastor, can I just camp here and say that if you've never trusted Christ... If all that seemed like, well, I've never done that. I've never experienced forgiveness. I've got those questions. I'm wondering how I, should, how I can be right with God. I'm wondering what I can do about all my sins. The answer is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And this morning, right where you're sitting, you can cry out to God and ask him to save you through Jesus by his spirit. And in a supernatural way, God will purchase you from sin. He'll pay your debt and he'll buy you. Watch this. He will own you. And boy, that's great news. Because right now, if you're without Christ, you're owned by sin. You're a slave to something. Paul would say we're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And I love being a slave to God. Because he owns me, secures me, and has taken me all the way home. And nothing will touch me there. There's no more secure place to be been owned by God in the palm of his hand. And if you've never trusted Christ, could I just ask you right now in your seat where you are to pray a prayer something like this. God, if it's true that you'll forgive my sin through Jesus because he died for me and was raised from the dead and I can be forgiven and given life through Jesus, then God, 
I believe this morning and trust, and I call on the name of Jesus to be saved. And God, will you do that in my life this morning? Save me from my sin. You know what God will do? I say this a lot right here, don't I? You know what God will do? He will do exactly what he said. He'll save you. He'll purchase you. He will own you. Not only in creation, but now he'll own you in salvation. And you'll be free to do what we've been talking about this morning. Glorify God. And reflect and showcase the brilliance and weight of a God who loves you so much that he would save you from your sin. And this really leads us to our big idea. This is really what we're saying today. That because we're God's, because we belong to him, we should showcase the weight and worth of God. Here's how we'll say it in a simple nutshell. Because you belong to God, live to showcase the weight and worth of God. Real simple, but it's kind of a handle to carry all the information we've talked about this week together. In fact, could you say it with me? Let's read it together, church. Here's our big idea today. Because you belong to God, live to showcase the weight and worth of God. This is what it means to obey the final imperative of this nine-verse section when Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so glorify God in your body. Now, because of time, I'm not going to take questions live today, but feel free to text them in. I'll address them later. I want to take some time and just apply this within our framework here. And I want you to understand what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying that the way you glorify God in your body, in your job, and in your home is unimportant. It is very important. In fact, I would say it's equally as important, okay? It's not that the church matters more. When I say matters more, the, the, the physical place we gather and we serve the Lord and we engage in things that are glorifying, that's not the only arena of your life. I realize that. But here's what I want to say to you. That is the arena that in this moment we all have in common. I don't go to your work. You don't really come to mine on, in the week. Uh, I don't come to your home where you're a wife or you, you know, manage the kids in the evening. I don't do all that. And, um, so there's a lot of arenas that we don't have in common. But there's one in this moment we have in common. It's called the faith family, the church, where we gather. So I want to take some time and apply this imperative in ways to help you say, okay, there's one way that I could use my body to showcase and reflect the weightiness of God. So I was going to focus really on some things around here. I'll take a few minutes to do this, and then we'll lead into communion, which is great today because where uh, were we purchased? At Calvary, amen? And so again this week, we'll come to the tables, and we'll remember where we were bought. But first, let's apply this singular imperative that closes out the nine verses. How can we reflect and showcase the worth and weight of God within this faith family, this local gathering of believers. I'm going to show you a list of things. I included them this week, or at least some of them, in a letter I wrote you to kind of prep you to get you thinking about some of these things. So here's a, a kind of a long list of application ways um, to think about uh, showcasing, reflecting God's glory in this faith family. I'm going to talk about some of them longer than I do the other ones. I'll just take the first three or four there because they center, they center on what I think is the central core calling of the church, which is to make disciples. You can use the word evangelism and discipleship. You can, I think it's one word, by the way. I think uh, 
discipleship is evangelism because we're seeing new folks coming to the kingdom. They're being birthed. We're raising them. We're teaching them, maturing them. I like the phrase making disciples as the, as the collective term. But I don't want to argue with folks about which one they use because I think our hearts are the same. We want to see folks come to Christ. Amen. We want to fulfill and obey the great commission. By the way, that was Christ's last words. And we say this often. His last words should be our first concern. They're mentioned in every gospel and they're mentioned in Acts. It was, it was understood that this was their marching orders, our marching orders. And so I want to just come in and talk about these first four here, first four or five or so. Right now we're in the middle of a, of a I would call it maybe an emphasis. It's not a program you attend. It's just a, a way to get you thinking about those around you who don't know the Lord. It's called Who's Your One? Right now there's probably, what would you say, Cynthia, a couple hundred cards in our office maybe. You guys have turned in. That's fantastic. I do think there should be a lot more because I think a lot of you know a lot more people than who don't know the Lord. And so this card, who's your one? On the back is a place to write that one name. You kind of perf it, then you tear it off. And we're just asking you to turn this part in. We've got a place we post these and we're praying every day for these names. We don't know most of them, but God does. And did you know that God wants them saved more than you and I do? I love that, don't you? And that brings fervency to our evangelistic efforts that I'm not trying to convince someone or, or talk them into anything. I'm just sharing the news. I'm just, when it's right, crossing the threshold we talked about last January. I just want to be bold but polite because who knows that in the moment of sharing the gospel, someone's eyes could be opened and the Holy Spirit could convict them. They could see the cross and Christ's payment for their sin and God's call to them and they would be saved. So just put a name there, turn it in. You can turn it in so it's personally, put it in the offering box, however you want to do that. And then on this card here, there's like a 30-day devotional. You can just read through the scriptures that talk about uh, loving lost people and God's heart for lost people and our responsibility to lost people. You know why we're doing that? Because um, it matters that people hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved. It just matters. Aren't you glad someone shared the news with you? I don't know how it happened. Maybe it was an invitation to a church. Maybe it was over a conversation at high V. Maybe it's through a letter, an email, all kinds of ways. But aren't you glad that the news that God saves sinners reached you? And how spiritually racist would it be if we said, man, I'm glad I heard, but no one else is going to hear. I'm not telling anybody. And sometimes we hear this phrase like, well, I'm like, I feel awkward. I'm a little embarrassed. I'm scared. Admittedly, some of those things are true, but they should not stop us from caring for those who have yet to hear the news of Jesus Christ. I mean, for, for the name of Christ, be awkward if you have to. For the glory of God, be courageous if you have to. But use your body and your voice and your kind deeds and your hands to actually showcase the weight and worth of God. Now look what God has done in my life. Just share your story and just say something like this. Has there ever been a time in your life when, when that's happened to you? Do you know anything about that? And just have a conversation. Who knows how God could you use with one person and could see them this year come to Christ? It's my prayer. And I haven't told anybody this yet, but about two or three guys on our staff. It's my prayer. And it's not a goal. So if you're kind of one of those type A goal metric people, just give me some room here, okay? But it's my prayer that we'll baptize more than 50 people this year. Now, why that number? Because we've never baptized more than 50 in a year. Now, some of you think, that's great. We've had 40-something baptized several years. 
Maybe that is good. I don't know. But I think, I, I think we can ask God to do a whole lot more than 40. Amen? And could, could we just be courageous enough and committed enough and bold enough to just share the gospel? Do you know I heard this weekend, men heard this too, 85% of folks who say they're a Christian became a Christian because someone simply invited them to a service. That's a high number, isn't it? So you can look down upon invitations to church, but the facts speak to us that a lot of people who are Christians became a Christian when someone just invited them to a service, which is why I want to promise you, we do some hard preaching here. You're right. We go at it strong. We dive into the buffet table, but I will promise you this. Every week, we're going to make sure folks know how to be saved, how they can trust Jesus. So with your invitation... Your continued conversation, your friendship, our preaching, your just all that together, man, God will save people. Could we just ask God to give us 50 people who this year will trust him and be baptized? Wouldn't that be great? Not to be bragging on us, but watch this. So it would showcase the weight and worth of God in physical ways, like we're talking about him. Then they get saved and we baptize them. We get them wet in front of hundreds of people. That's always awesome, isn't it, right? All these things are physical ways to say, look how worthy God is. Look how weighty he is in our church, in our life. That's what we're after with who's your one. Just pray, as John 4.35 says, that God would open your eyes and lift them up and see the fields that are widened to harvest in your neighborhood. That's why we're asking you this Easter, in the first two weeks of April, Every small group is to be involved in a neighborhood outreach. I'm going to just put the cards on the table here to you. I know some of you will say, oh, brother, I'm going to feel weird doing that. Okay, feel weird, but do it. You never know what a simple conversation, a simple invitation, what something could do in someone's life. You don't know what they're going through, what they're wondering, how they're questioning. And you guys are, are, are beautifully polite. You love our city. So in the first weeks of April, can we just have every small group just mark out their neighborhood and just go door to door? And you can think of creative ways to do it. There's all kinds of ways where you can take an invitation. Maybe you want to take a gift, some cookies. Maybe I don't know how you want to do it, but find a way to get into your neighborhood and share the gospel. So we're doing that for two weeks, and Easter we'll do it again in two weeks in the fall so that we can continue to have the... Have the, the the, watch this, the posture of John 4.35. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white into harvest. Let me just share this with you. I, I found, and I'm, I'm my, the guy on my one, the person I'm working with, I've been told no three times uh, to certain invitations. And so it, I'm, I'm struggling right now, but, but we're talking more. And so I'm just gonna ask him if I can just have a conversation. Like, can, can we just sit down maybe over lunch and just... Can I just share with you what's turned my life around? My guess is he'll say yes to that. And we'll just talk about God. Um, I just tell you that because I, I want you to see um, if we all just took the posture of, okay, God, who's the one? They're right around near me, and what's my next step? We would see God do amazing things, and I think we'd blow past 50 That's one of the reasons that Scott and Jerry are um, igniting what we call the Disciples Making Disciples class. In fact, Scott, can I just come to you in the audience there and have you share a word about this class? Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, you've got to be in a small group to join this class, right? So no one can come if they're already in a small group. This is not replacing a small group. 
And um, it's designed to actually increase our intentionality. So Scott and Jerry, why don't you stand and, uh, yeah, give us 60-second uh, blurb for this class that the intro begins next week, correct? Yeah, starting uh, next Sunday, second service, um, we're going to do kind of our um, introduction, exploratory um, opportunity. I feel like I'm talking to the back of you guys um, about how do we really make disciples. And the class isn't a, isn't a head knowledge class. It's, a, it's an action class. It's an equipping class. So we're going to be practicing, as Todd was talking about, with how do we, what is our story? What is God's story? And how do we listen to other people's stories so that, that we really um, know how to share our faith and, and who, are we, who are we praying for? And, and just putting all of that into action, we're going to be taking the course with you. We're not I mean, we're leading it, but we're definitely taking it with you as well. And I believe there's, a, there's weekly accountability in that. So it's a pretty high, intense class. But, man, it would be awesome to have... You probably don't want a ton, right? I'll give you the mic back. How does that sound? I forgot you had a microphone. <laughs> okay. I was, like, handing it back to you. Um, yeah, I'm, we, we'll take any and everybody. If the room's not big enough, we'll find a bigger room. So they do want a ton. Okay, there we go. <laughs> That's good. But I know it's pretty high intensity. And a lot of accountability. It is. Um, every week, um, the goal as we get into it, not, not week one, but as we get into it, the goal with it every week is to uh, be praying about that God would bring people into your path to, to share your faith with. And the goal is really to share your faith with two people every week. Amen. What am I forgetting? Nothing. So I think the goal is... Uh, oh, actually, you were forgetting something, I guess. <laughs> I was just thinking the logistics about 10.30 to noon, um, starting next Sunday, mm. and we're thinking 12 to 16 weeks. Great. Um, yeah, if God's Spirit's leading you towards that, man, see those guys. Sign up on our website. Um, notice what I said there. If God's Spirit is leading you there, I didn't say, hey, if you'd like to go, if you're interested, because... I think the minute you sense God leading you, you may feel uncomfortable, but that's the very time you should obey and step out of your comfort zone. Take this spiritual nudge and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm sensing the conviction. Don't crawl back into your space of disobedience, of comfort. Man, take that step. Let's go back to our list of applications. Let me try to wrap these up a little quicker here. That's more locally minded. I want to encourage you to consider where you're going to go internationally this year with our mission trips. This list is in the back of the church. These are church-sponsored trips. We're looking at an opportunity for some college students to spend a month with our church planter in Kazakhstan. We don't need a ton there. I think two, three could go spend a month there. Uh, they're with IMB, and they'll be teaching English in some of the universities, uh, working in that way. Uh, we're also going to see our church planter there for just about a week and doing some things in their church. That's a great opportunity to, to kind of experience mission life for more than a week for some of our college-age students. Or if you're an adult and you've got the summers off and you want to spend a month there, it'd be great. Um, we're looking at helping a church plant in Reno, Nevada, Lord willing. We've got our annual Utah evangelistic effort. Um, the, our partner in France... Uh, they're opening their new building coming up in May. We've been a part of that. Some of you guys were there to help get that going. We want to be there for the dedication. So uh, we're also visiting Turkey to see IMB's air war and ground war there uh, in a very Muslim country. Um, then, of course, our final trip to, on the list, of course, 
is the youth taking their Des Moines mission trip, really coinciding with Summerfest and doing some large outreach there. So what you're seeing is the heart of our church, the DNA of our church, is that we want to be locally mission-minded as well as globally mission-minded. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. We want to make sure that's what we actually live out. So let me ask you, where are you headed this summer, this year? Where are you going to invest some of your discretionary cash? Uh, I'd encourage you to think through that. What I love about the way we do mission trips is we don't take a lot of large groups. You know that? And someone could criticize that and say, well, we want to take, you know, 50 to Mexico. And I think next time we've got some plans for a larger group to closer areas. But the Lord has given us a real heart for, for hard to access unreached places. 80% of our mission dollars go to those places. About 80% of our partners are in those places. And we don't, we're not ashamed of that. We think it's great that we're trying to attack areas that have less access than others. So that all can hear. But here's what's neat about that. We don't need 15 to sign up to go to France. We just need a small handful who can make a massive difference and really encourage our partners. So think about it, would you? In fact, it's not just church-sponsored trips. Man, I love the fact that we have folks in our church who go on mission trips because they want to really um, showcase and reflect God's weight and worth in their own life. Mark leaves this week for Zambia to teach in the International Bible College of Zambia. We've worked with him years ago took a pause, and he's now going individually on his own to really help them. been going for years now. Mark, can I pray for you just briefly before you leave this week? Would you stand? Denise, would you stand with him? I know you're not going, but just stand with Mark. Let me just pray for you too, can I? And you guys pray for them this week, would you? They leave Wednesday, right? Let's pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, just in this 60-second pause, would you um, just fan into greater flame Mark's love for the globe and the training pastors and workers in this part of the, of the world. Um, would you fan that into greater flame so that um, his desire to see all people from every nation, language, or type, and tongue, Lord, that that would spread even among our body. I pray you'd use him boldly, give him great impact. Take care of Denise while she's here, Lord, and just honor this couple for their faithfulness to you and also their willingness for you. In Jesus' name, the church prays together. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Denise. So let's move on past some of those just to mention a few others as we wrap up. Because those can seem really out there, large, like, wow, I'm not sure I can do that. But here's something we can all do. We can care for the elderly and the sick and our widows. You know that? Those are physical things we do. If you want to help with that, just call the office. Cynthia, I know, has a list of folks who help in that way. We just add you to that list, and, and our widows, those who are sick at times, need meals. We have a hospitality list. I think over 50 folks are on that who just make meals at the, when they're called. They will help. That's well, an awesome way to help our church. It's a physical way to showcase the weight and worth of God in your life. I think about Bible reading and prayer. More of a, a habit that you have personally, but watch this. Those are physical things we do. You use your eyes. You read God's word. That's the primary way we sense and know God's weight and worth, by the way, by reading his word, like Taylor did this morning as he read those verses to us. Wow, you could just feel God's greatness descending on us, right? Praying, not just individually, but in your small group. And I would say even individually, then praying, yes, as a way of life all the time, just being in a constant mode of prayer. I think Brother Lawrence called this practicing the presence of God. But I would encourage you not to diminish that Matthew 6 type of praying where you go to your closet and you seek the Lord in, in secret. 
Take that posture on your knees. The door's closed, and you don't tell anybody about this. This is not for you to brag about. The Lord sees you in secret. He'll reward you. That's what the Bible says. But still, you find the time to, to, to get on your knees before God, and you just intercede for people. Confess your sins. Man, we've seen God take prayer and really drive it into the DNA of our church in the last four to five years. It's been a beautiful thing to watch. And we're still a long way from where we need to be, okay? But our elders years ago, and even currently, just really being committed to like, we are a house of prayer for the nations. So 40 days of prayer is coming up this spring. There's one this fall. We're going to have you um, be able to sign up for, um, to receive our daily jumpstart prayer. There will be an opportunity for you to sign up for a day that you want to fast or multiple days. I'd encourage you, would this be a way that God would deepen your relationship with him by physically engaging in ways that would showcase his weight and worth, like fasting? Just consider it, okay? Again, we're talking about ways that you can physically, with your body in this faith family, showcase and reflect the weight and worth of God. Because that is what we are called to do, church. So glorify God in your body. Think about small group faithfulness and multiplication. And some of you right now should begin to lead groups or at least begin to get groups going so that you can launch a new group next fall so that our groups can stay small and care better. I think about authentic, expressive worship. Like this morning, singing like you're gifted and the freedom to worship God with bodily expression. Now here, I'm not saying that you have to do that to worship authentically. Did you hear what I just said? You don't have to lift your hand above the 90 degree angle to worship God authentically, okay? Some do and some don't. I'm just asking you to ask yourself the question, are you worshiping the Lord authentically? Are you lifting your voice or is this your posture? Now, hate on me if you want. But it's hard for me to think that someone could be, have their hands in their pockets and never open their mouth and look down the floor and like they're just waiting for the songs to end and call that authentic worship. Check the Psalms out. The verbs in Psalms are clap, bow, shout. There's double-digit verbs. Kneel. So I'm not saying that there's a prescribed manner. There must be a variety of ways. I just want to nudge you boldly to be willing to use watch this your mind and your body in worship I think in our circles we love to use our mind in worship and I think that's legit but we also are called to use our body in worship do you know that use our emotion what did Jesus say in John that those that worship him worship him in spirit and in truth and the Father is seeking worshipers like that. And it's not just a musical issue here. I think this is a congregational admonition to enter the service. And by that, I mean be here on time. Ouch. To be here early enough to kind of get prepped and then enter into with your body, being the corporate body, a moment of just worshiping God's greatness with others. Without shame or fear, but with great anticipation. And if it means your body, hallelujah. If it doesn't to some degree, I get that. Just promise 
your church this, that you will enter into worship both in the teaching of the word and the singing of songs, the giving of your offerings, the serving of the saints, that you will enter into that authentically, not worried about what someone thinks of you or if you're measuring up, but just like, God, I'm coming before your throne to worship you with these folks I call my family. And so I'm gonna lay it all out for you, God. I think that's one way we reflect and bring weight and worth to God. Serving in particular areas, giving sacrificially and regularly. This is just a sample. There's other ways. And again, this is not to minimize the other environments of your life. They are equally as important. I hope you're hearing me well. Your family matters. Your job matters. You should work unto, in your job as unto the Lord, not unto men. So we, we applaud all of those. But this is the one area we all have in common. We prioritize our weekly gathering, our small group. We love the Lord, and together we want to showcase and reflect His weight and worth. And I've given you today just some simple ways you can apply what we've talked about for three weeks. Fleeing sexual immorality. Realizing that you are bought by God. And then using your body not for self-gratification, but for divine glorification. So could we as a church just say, you know, I'm in. I, know, I hear Todd's heart. He's not requiring a list. He's not prescribing a certain action. But he is urging us to obey this verse with our body in this church. And I'm in. I'll do it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.